Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 15, verses 12 to 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Morning. I'm so used to being up here and again and saying, hi, my name is Mike. I'm on staff here because I used to be up And my wife and I, uh, Casey and Mike Forrest, we uh, now live in Uganda, for those of us, for those of you who don't know. And uh, we are missionaries there sent by this church. And we have been there for about two years, came home for a few months. And we're leaving again in about a month for another two and a half years. So it is a privilege to be here again with you all this morning. Many of you are family to us. All of you are church family to us. And um, yeah, it's just a privilege to be able to come and, and preach and be before you. If you did not know that I was preaching and you want to leave, it's fine. When I pray, I'll close my eyes. And, no, um, so I had been um, praying about and thinking about... Uh, what to preach on uh, for the past few weeks. And, and this one thought kind of came into my mind. And I couldn't really get away from it. And then it was harder to develop than I thought, but I, hopefully it'll be useful and, and we'll all be encouraged. But throughout the New Testament and, and, and throughout the Bible itself, we see this call over and over and over to love others. I know, I'm supposed to love others, right? But as I was thinking about it and as I was praying about it, I, I kind of just got overwhelmed as I looked into it. And if, you, if you're interested, there's a couple of these searches I'll uh, suggest to you this week. Later this week, just Google search Scripture, love others, right? Just look up all of the passages of Scripture where it's saying over and over and over. It's overwhelming to go love others. And I was kind of gripped by it in preparing and thinking um, God tells us to do this all the time, and it, it must be pretty important to him that we do it. I'm going to just quickly read a few of them, and they're familiar, and there's so many more. But just to have a sense, I kind of want it to wash over us to kind of be like, okay, wow, that's a lot, right? John 13, 34, from the same sermon or teaching that Jesus gave that we're going to our text is. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. First Peter 4, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. First John 4, you could just, First John 4 is overwhelming in its call, but here's some verses. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Later, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, later in 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 1 Corinthians 13, that, that love passage that we read at weddings for some reason. It's not really about matrimonial love, but it can be. It's fine. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not proud. It does not boast. And it goes on. It bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, loves all things. Now, Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard that it was was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Three more. Philippians 2, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility of mind, consider others more significant than yourself. Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In 1 Corinthians 16, let all that you, be, that all that you do be done in love. That's not all of them. That's not even like, that's just the beginning. Over and over throughout the Bible, God says, as a follower of Christ, in the way I have loved you, you are now called to love. That's overwhelming, right? It's so much. I I can't do it. Because sometimes I, I I don't want to. Loving people can be hard. Loving certain people can be extra hard. Sometimes it's really hard to love other Christians. And yet that's what he's calling us to again and again. Loving people is not easy. So how on earth does God expect us to do it? That's what I want to talk about today. So let me pray and we will um, hopefully learn something or be inspired, encouraged to press into Jesus for that. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you because you first loved us. We have new life because of what you've done for us and you have called us again and again, the greatest commandment to love you with all that we are, but love others as ourselves. And you said that sums up the whole law and Lord, it's, it's, that's a lot. And so meet us in this place. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be honest with you about how hard it is to love all the time. And, and, and give us new life. Help this be an encouragement. Help your word correct our wrong thinking and, and to give us new life. Like a fresh spring on a hot day, revive us with your love that we would be encouraged to go and love others today. Speak to us through your word. Spirit, do your work. We pray in your name. Amen. Our official text is John 15. It's, it's part of the uh, upper room discourse Jesus is with his disciples the night before he's arrested, and he's giving them some instructions. In John 13, he washes their feet. It's implicit. It's in the other Gospels. It doesn't say in John 13, but he then celebrates the Lord's Supper for the first time, and he starts giving them instructions. And a lot of the instructions um, are are about loving each other, um, that the Holy Spirit's going to come, that we can find peace. But it's this, like, huge text half in the upper room and then half as they kind of go on onto the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is giving really, really important instructions. The last real teaching before he dies in front of their eyes about how to be his disciples. And he says some radical things. And a lot of it is around this metaphor in John 15 that we're going to read right now of I am the vine and you are the branches. So let's look at that. We're going to read John 15, uh, 1 through 11 and, and talk a bit. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. 
Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Skipping to verse 8 for the sake of time. By this, my Father, is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 15. Thanks, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Do you need... Oh, it's doing both? Okay. I don't know what's happening, but I trust Adrian. So Jesus starts talking about this metaphor, right? And we picture a trellis of, of grapes. I don't love wine. I've not been around a lot of grapes. I, I think some of you guys have probably been around more grapes than I have uh, knowing this congregation, which is great. Um, Jesus is the main vine, and we are the branches coming off of the vine. Because, again, I'm not a vine dresser, it's easier to think about the tree, a trunk of a tree, and then the branches coming off. That makes more sense in my mind. Um, But either way, Jesus is saying that he is our source. We grow out of him, and all of our growth is dependent upon and in relation to Jesus, our source. Our livelihood as believers, our ability to do anything all comes from him. He is the vine. He is the trunk. He is the source. And we are the branches. We grow out of him. And Jesus says, keep doing that. Jesus has given us new life through his death and resurrection so that when we trust in him, we give him our lives, we are forgiven, and we receive a new identity in Jesus. And one part of that salvation and that calling is that we are grafted into the body of Christ, it says especially of those of us who did not grow up as Hebrews, right? He is the vine, we are the branches, and like grape vines, we have a purpose to bear much fruit. So what, what fruit will we bear? Most likely it's the fruit of the Spirit is the easiest thing from Galatians 5. As we become more like Jesus, conformed into his image, as we trust in him, these things are resulted in coming out of us Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I think we can also see the results of obedience. We see ministry. We see um, spiritual growth. We see opportunities to serve others as the fruit. But the question is not, what is fruit? Because that's a good exercise to think about. But how do we bear that fruit? How do we love others? And he says, we will bear fruit if we abide in him by keeping his commandments. Okay, again, briefly, there's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. And then there's the 10, the big 10, right? The Decalogue named after the 10 commandments, the first five books of the Old Testament representing those 10 commandments, representing all the commandments. And then Jesus answered that tough question that the the teachers of the law tried to pin on him. What is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with everything and then love others as yourself, right? 
But in John 15, 10, Jesus directs us to something when he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what is he asking for? And that's our, finally, we finally made it, our passage for today. John 15, 12, and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no end than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus says, if you keep the commandments of God, you will grow. But then he says, this is the commandment I really want you to do. He zeroes in on it. Earlier in the night, John 13, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. So our first point, the question is, how are we to love others? It's by being with them, by serving them, and by leading them. How are we to love others in the way that Jesus loved us? Because he says, love people like I have loved you. By being with them, by serving them, and by leading them. When Jesus came from heaven, he was called Emmanuel, God with us. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He was with us. That's such a big deal for us to remember when we think about loving others as he loved us. He first showed up. He came to this place and he was born as a baby and he had to learn to crawl and to walk and to speak and, to, and how to live and how to be a kid. And he, and he went through puberty and he became a young man and he learned to trade. He learned how to, to work with his hands like his father. Hebrews 4 says he was tempted in every, every way as we are and yet without sin. So he was with us in this place, in all of the, the junk of this world, in the difficulty, in the struggle of that ancient world. He was here and he dwelt with us. He was with us. He felt struggle. He grieved. He felt hunger and thirst and rejection like us. Jesus loved us first by being with us. I was hanging out with some friends this weekend and uh, they have a new baby girl. Uh, she's about eight months old. And I was, I was talking how everything was going and and the mom, Kelly, said that her mother, or her mother-in-law had come to stay with them for the first few weeks when she was born. And she said this. She said, my mother-in-law is the exact sort of person you want to be there. She is the perfect person when you need someone to be there with you. What an incredible compliment. A, what an incredible mother-in-law. But B, what an incredible compliment, right? We know people like that. When I need someone to be there and to be with me, that's the person I want. That's the first way that we're called to love others. We're called to be like that, to just be there in that moment and in that need. We're called to love others simply by showing up. 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. Love never ends. It is not easy to show up. It is not easy to remain there for others, to abide with them, right? Jesus did that for us, and he says, that's how I want you to love others. The second way we're called to love others is to serve others, to sacrifice for them. 
In John 20, Jesus says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all, right? And he's the ultimate example. He can say that because he did it. He sought out and spent time sacrificially with the worst people in society at risk to his reputation, at risk to his followers, at risk to his own life. He touched people with leprosy. He healed people who were sick. He fed people, thousands of people, giving, creating for them. But more than all that, he gave his life that we might know God. Greater love has known this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So what do we do with that? How do we sacrificially love people? There's an interesting book um, that I looked at a little bit, Casey read more of, tends to be the trend in our marriage, thanks, um, called African Friends and Money Matters. And it was written to us, to Westerners, because often people from the West would come into sub-Saharan Africa and, you know, that central southern Africa piece, and, and they would not understand a piece of how people relate to each other. Most, pe- most Africans who live below the Sahara, the way they relate, the way that relationships work is by borrowing and lending money. We've been told that the people we know in Bundabugio, where we live, each of them most likely has 50 to 100 balances with friends and families around them, and they know each. They know each down to the very Ugandan shilling. They relate the way that they prove that they have a relationship, the way that they interact as people. A foundational piece is by borrowing and lending money. If service was over, and I walked up to you and I said, hey, Asher, um, can, you, can you give me 50 bucks? Like, I just, I, want, I need to buy lunch for my family. Like, do you have 50 bucks I could have right now? What, what would go through your mind? I mean, I'm a missionary, so maybe you're like, oh, okay, he's a poor missionary. <laughs> and if that's your action, then can I have 50 bucks? Um, <laughs> but you'd be like, what's wrong with him, Right? us San Diegans in this pretty affluent culture, and just as Westerners, as the individualism, as the like, don't ask for anything, don't show any need. If I came up and said, hey, um, my family's coming in town, can I borrow some food so I can feed them? Like Jesus said, a neighbor banging on your door asking for bread, right? That would be normal in sub-Saharan Africa to say, I have family, can you help me provide for them? That's how you relate. Here we'd be like, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And that's why there's a need for a book like that. But there's a lot of reasons for that. But the reason I bring it up is that in those relationships there, there is skin in the game. There is investment. Investment, whether borrowing or lending, means I know you, I trust you, I'm, we are friends. We have a relationship. So, but in America, how do we know if someone is your friend? Chad and I had this conversation about 10 years ago. I think it's if, if, if they'll drive you to the airport. Isn't that kind of like that? That's how I know you're my friend. Right? I mean, that's kind of the litmus. That's like a real friend will drive, even though it's close. Because who will give me of their time? Who do I feel like I can ask to give me of their time? San Diegans, we are busy, busy, busy people. It's part of the culture, but it's it's on us. Friendship usually really means time. Right? Right? It's, showing, it's giving someone a ride each week to church. 
The second way we love like Jesus is giving of ourselves to love and provide for others. It may be time, it may be money and generosity. Our family's been blown away by the generosity of so many of you and so many other friends and family to us in this time. But we're also kind of a special case. We're missionaries. We're, hey, we're proud of you. We know you need help. How can we help? And that's awesome. And we're super thankful, and I don't discount that at all. But Jesus calls us to love with that generosity and investment all the time. Um, A a few weeks ago, I was driving in our, our rented minivan, and it started shutting off, and, I, I, and we were just going to the beach, and I said, kids, get in the van, because it was having a major problem, and I knew to get it fixed, I had to bring it back to the service center in National City, and we were on Coronado. So I, Casey and the kids jumped in, I drove them home, I kind of like threw them out, I'm like, I gotta go, and the whole thing's like, lights are going off on the dash, and like, it, the van started to slow down, going up over the Coronado Bridge, and I barely made it into the service center that I knew would, would fix our van, because there's a deal with the rental agency, and it was the closest one. And I didn't want to pay for a tow. And so as I'm pulling in, it literally shut off as I'm pulling into the driveway and I had to get out and push it back into the parking space. And they were just closing, but the window was rolled down. So the van completely shut off. The battery was completely shot. Nothing would work. The, the doors, uh, the window would be down. And as I parked, there's, um, you know, someone, there's some people living on the street, like 15 feet away from the van. And I'm just like, I can't leave my rental van here with the window down. It doesn't feel good. So I sent a text out. I sent a text to six people that off the top of my head I thought would maybe help. John, Chad, Paul, you guys are here, thank you. Uh, You were on the list. And then a friend named YY down Chula Vista, but then two neighbors from National City. A guy named Freddie and my neighbor across the street from our house named Jorge. Best neighbor ever. And I said, hey guys, I have car trouble. I'm stuck in National City. I I don't don't know what I need, but maybe jumper cables and your vehicle. Do you have some time? It's like six o'clock at night on a weekday, and, and a number of texts come in, and Freddie, who is Jorge's nephew, says, I'm on my way, and then Jorge texts me and goes, hey, I heard about it, I'll be there, I'll come, and about 15 minutes later, Jorge pulls up, he's a painter, he's a laborer, he works really hard, 30 years now, discovering paint, just coming off his job, and he pulls up and he says, hey, Mike, what do we need to do, and so we fiddle with it, we figure out, we got to take his battery out and to put it into my car because the jump isn't working. And so if we, re, if we put the new battery in, we can lock the thing up. And I'm just like, hey, man, thank you so much. Have you had dinner? Can I buy you dinner? Like, I'll take a, an Uber back um, to Coronado where we're staying. And like, can, what can I do? And he's like, no, no, Mike, no, no, Mike, get in the car. And so he, he takes me in his car. So after working on my van for 30 minutes and putting his back together, coming off of work, still covered in paint, he drives me back to his house and he feeds me dinner with his family. And so we have dinner, and it's really lovely. And then, um, and his family loves our kids, and they miss them from when we used to live there two years ago. Then they start packing up all the extra food from dinner, all of it. And then he starts going into his closet and starts pulling out um, bags and bags of Doritos, um, these, those little almond cookies that were like from Chinese restaurants. I don't know where he got them. All these almond cookies. And he starts getting like sodas, and he's, do your kids want that? I'm like, no, no, they're fine. Like my kids, like they're full. They're okay. And he starts emptying his his, his pantry with food for my family. And he says, get in, Mike. And the whole family jumps in the car with me from National City, 7.30 on a Wednesday night. And they drive me back to Coronado, loaded with food and with soup and with these like tostadas and th- these extra chips and these, all these snacks for the next week. And, and then they bring me home. And I was just blown away. Because I don't love like that, right? Like, that's, not, that's not normal. That's not easy to do. And I just was like, thank you, Horace. Like, thank you. It meant so much. And, and 
Casey and I just couldn't believe it, you know? We love others like Jesus by being with them and, and by, by serving them. And, and I think we're called to do that again and again and again. The best neighbors ever. The third way Jesus calls us to love like him is um, by, by leading them. And I was thinking about this. Um, growing up, excuse me, Jorge really got to me there. Thanks, Jorge. He's the best. Um, Growing up as a young man, I used to have a, a hard time, and still do somewhat, but less so now as I've gotten uh, more cynical and older. Um, I had a hard time like saying something critical to someone, saying like constructive criticism or saying a hard thing to someone. In fact, I would I would avoid it at all costs for a while. I mean, really, like I mean, till like mid twenties even, you know, which makes would make me a bad boss at that point. Um, but it's really hard because I had this wrong thinking that if I loved someone, I wouldn't do anything that ever made them not feel good. If I said something in any way remotely negative, it would be wrong of me to do it because that's not, in my mind, that was not what loving them was. I love, was loving them, and so I wouldn't say it, which is not love at all, right? A big part of Jesus' ministry was to say hard things. He called people out. He rebuked Peter. Remember, get behind me, Satan, when Peter said he would not let Jesus die. It's, it's a little harsh. But he was leading him. He was directing him. He was guiding him on balance, saying a hard thing. He influenced them. He taught them. Jesus did what was best for others. And often what is best for someone is not the thing that they want. Right? Right? Often to love someone is not to do the thing that they really want in that time. And to me, I'm labeling that as leading them. Because we are called to lead people towards truth, to initiate sometimes a hard conversation, to confront sin graciously, to push back in a conversation and say, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think that's right. Can we talk about that? That's loving. And it's not always easy. So we are called to love by being with people, serving them, and, and leading them, doing what's best for them. And it's not always easy. It's hard to constantly do that. It's hard to constantly give of yourself. It's hard to, to love people who have hurt us. And sometimes we're called to do that. A quick aside, Jesus does not ask us to be doormats and allow people to abuse us. Jesus does not ask us to, to stay in the unhealth of a relationship. And if we see ourselves or people we love in those, we need to help people get out of those, right? And be protected. That's part of loving others as you love yourself. It's in the greatest commandment he said. But there are times when we have to love people who have hurt us. If it's not that doormat way, right? Because we hurt each other because we are related to each other or we know each other or we're working with each other and that's super hard. So we're called often to continue in relationships with difficult people. And like we started with, it's hard to be kind and respectful with people we don't agree with. Has that ever been more obvious than now two years into this pandemic? Who did you vote for? What are you saying about masks? What do you mean I have? What are you talking about? Who do you think you are, right? You're a Christian? 
on whatever side you are. Notice I wasn't picking a side. That's the way you're going to raise your kids? How dare you cut me off when I drive? There's all these little prickly things that we have that makes it hard often to love others. Someone who's willing to cut in line, that's the kind of person they are? So how are we supposed to love them? So we need to get our energy and the desire and ability to love others from Jesus. Jesus says, I'm calling you to love others in the same way I have loved you. And the way we get that, that ability to do it, that perseverance to press on, the desire to even do so is to go back to the gospel over and over, which takes us back to that metaphor in John 15. Jesus says, I have loved you in the same way the Father has loved me. And he points out, I have already made you clean. I have washed you. I have forgiven you. I have granted you new life. Now abide in me. Come back to me and find what you need to go do this love for others in Jesus. It's that metaphor, abide in me. One way, something I want to point out that I think might be helpful. Um, There's four values in our agency we work for called Surge. And one of the values is one of my favorite things about the company that we work for and and the like-mindedness throughout the 400 or so missionaries uh, that work at this agency and on our team. And that, that one of those values is called ministry through weakness. For those old harbor folk, it is very Dick Kaufman, a la Tim Keller, um, a la Jack Miller, who discipled those guys who started our agency. When we are weak, Jesus can be strong in and through us. His power is perfected in our weakness. My favorite Bible verse, 2 Corinthians 12. And I just want to say this. Loving others doesn't necessarily mean that you are strong. Loving others well does not mean that you have enough or that you're in the mood or it's a good day or the timing is right. Loving others can come through your weakness as we look back to Christ and say, help me do this. It doesn't mean you're strong. It means Jesus is. Um, Can we put up the cross chart? Um, See if it worked. It worked. All right. So this is from a Bible study called um, The Gospel Centered Life. Uh, I went through it first here at Harbor 15 years ago. It literally changed my life. I didn't know I would eventually be serving as a missionary with the agency that it came from. It's the best Bible study in the world. I mean that. It's easy to go through. I highly recommend it. If you haven't done it, the Gospel Center Life, write it down. Um, so if we look at this, I got to turn this way. The top line, this idea of deeper and deeper knowledge of God's holiness. The idea there is that we are growing in awareness in life. Once you become a believer, you begin this path of growth, of growing an awareness of just how big God is. That's this top line on the chart. Because what we tend to think as Christians is that we grow by like perfecting ourselves or not sinning more or improving myself. And this cross chart says that once you become saved, that point of conversion, these two lines begin to begin to grow apart from each other. And that top one is this growing awareness of who God is. And I will add for the sake of this argument today, growing awareness of what he's calling us to do. That your growth as a believer means you are are seeing the world with his eyes more and more. You're seeing more opportunities that he is calling you to go love more, to give more, to live for others more, to, 
Maybe you're being patient with someone that years ago you never would have been patient with. Or maybe you're growing in your, in your patience towards a family member. Not growing in bitterness, but growing in the opportunity to be patient. You're seeing it. So your growth on that top line is this growing awareness of who God is and what he's calling to you. And then the bottom line is this growing awareness of your inability to do it. Growing awareness of how much you really don't want to. That maybe for years you put up with your uncle at Thanksgiving saying those things and anymore you just, you're not gonna and you're being honest with yourself. This is harder for me than it used to be. Even as you've grown as a believer, it's, you're seeing as you dig beneath the surface, your unwillingness, your desires, you're starting when you're asking God to reveal, reveal my heart. Why do I feel this way towards that person? I'm actually growing in my depth of how much I don't want to love. And as I get over that, I'm still that awareness of my own sinfulness, that growth, according to this Bible study, and I would say scripture, growth is seeing, growing awareness of what God's calling us to, growing awareness of just of our own struggles to do it. But what meets in that gap? It's Jesus. So that growth in the Christian life is not self-improvement. It's not being better. It's not a longer, longer, longer quiet time. Growth in the Christian life is a growing awareness of who God is and what he's called you to. A growing awareness of your own sinfulness and the desire not to do it, but a growing, a, a growing cross, if you will, a, a, a growing trust in Jesus to meet us in those places. That growth is actually the sufficiency of the cross for our lives. Growth is not self-improvement. Growth is trusting Jesus more to do that for us. Does that make sense? This cross chart changed my life. And it's incredible to think about. In order to love others the way God is asking to us, we have to turn back to Jesus. We have to be honest about our unwillingness to give more or to give anything to whoever those people are. It cannot be that we create a new law for ourselves, that we read all the passages of Scripture and say, I have to love more. I'm going to love. I'm going to love. I'm going to love. And we try to white-knuckle love towards other people. It doesn't, it doesn't help, right? It has to come from our heart out, and it has to be Jesus working through us. Instead, we need to turn to Jesus again and again and ask him, give me a new heart. Give me new eyes. Give me a sensitivity. Help me, be, help me see things, I, my blind spots towards people that I've never seen before so that we can rely on him, so we can abide in him, depending on him for the will, for the energy, for the initiative. Jesus, I don't have the initiative to love that person. Help me. The resolve to love others as he has loved us. That's the call of abide in me, is to be honest, to take in prayer to him, Jesus, help. I don't want to love them. I just don't. And to repent of that and say, Jesus, here is who I am. I'm seeing more and more how much I don't want to love. Forgive me, empower me, help me to love. So we repent, Jesus, I can't do this. And he's like, I know you can't, but believe he has forgiven you. Believe he has empowered you. Believe he wants for his power to be perfected through your weakness. That value at Surge is ministry through weakness. We believe as missionaries on the field, as all of us in the world as believers, the most powerful ministry we will have is not us saying, look how good I am. Look at how I loved. But our honesty about how we're, 
we're not that good, but Jesus is. Our honesty about this is super hard for me, but I think God can do it. Our dependency on Jesus to do the thing, that that's what's going to change lives. Competency is great. Strength is awesome. That's not what changes lives, right? If you see someone at church, you're like, they have it all together. Is that what really fills you up? Because they probably don't, right? But what fills us up is those people who push on through life, leaning into Jesus, abiding in the vine. It's the failures of Peter. It's Paul saying he's the, the chief of all sinners and meaning it. It's, it's the example of, of Scripture. It's the example of those who've gone before us. And it's not their perfection that transforms us, right? It's their trust, their belief, their faith. They're continually going back to the well of Jesus, abiding in him. The picture for us is like Psalm 1, that we should be like the tree planted by the river, drinking deep. It's, we are the branch going back into the vine, the branch going back to the trunk saying, help Jesus, help me, help me. And he's saying, thank you, let's do this. That is the plan. We are called to love like Jesus, which is more than we can do. But the gospel shows us that Jesus can do it through us, his power made perfect in our weakness. And one of the ways we grow is by becoming more and more aware of all the things he's asking us to do, becoming more and more aware of the struggle or honest with or digging into, why don't I want to do this? Bringing that to Jesus and letting Jesus meet us and work in and through us. So three, three quick ways I think we should do this this week, and we're done. Number one is to spend time abiding in Jesus. Abiding means remaining. It means going back to the well. Take a walk with him. Think about how good Jesus is. Talk to a family member, a friend, about the amazing sacrifice that he's made for you. At our old life group, we would always, um, we would do uh, gospel renewal. And it was this idea of where have we seen Jesus do something for us lately? And we would tell the story and all of us would be like, yes, Jesus is so good. Do that. That's abiding. Number two, I think we need to pray for people we need to love more. Most likely, as I'm talking, faces have popped up, situations, coworkers, spouses, whoever, children, and saying, yeah, this is, this is hard, and I realize I've blown it. That's okay. Take it to Jesus. Let him meet you. Let him work in you. You're not, it's not bad. You're just being honest. Jesus knows who you are. Jesus knows who he wants to love through you. He's not like, oh, you didn't want to help them? But that's not who he is, right? There are people in your life that are hard to love. Pray about them. Pray about those relationships. Spend time with Jesus. Pray about those you need to love. And then third of all, look for opportunities to meet needs. Quickest story. When I was a freshman in college, I went um, to the office of student life or whatever, and uh, it was Christian school. And I, was, and I went upstairs, this guy's office named Steve, Steve Waldeck. And um, Steve was there just hanging out. He's like, what's up, man? And we started talking. And he just said to me, hey, you know, my Bible study at church, we've been talking about looking for opportunities to meet needs. Is there anything you need today? And I was like, I don't know, you know, because at this point I'm like, I'm uncomfortable, like asking anyone for anything in my own insecurity. And he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. He goes, really, is there something you need? How can I, what do you need today? And I said, well, I actually need quarters. I was going to do some laundry, freshman college, right? He goes, really? I go, yeah. And he pulls out his desk and he happened to have a roll of quarters. And he handed me 10 bucks in quarters. He goes, here you go. Go do all the laundry you want. 
I was like, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. And, I, and he said, Mike, I have been praying for this opportunity. My church, we've been focusing on, on literally meeting the needs of others. Here's some quarters, just take them. And what blew me away is not the 10 bucks, because it's 10 bucks, right? It's that he, he was like actively looking for it. He went out that day. He initiated conversations, just said, what do you, what, how can I meet a need right now? Look for opportunities. Pray that Jesus would show you opportunities to be with people, to serve people, to love people, to provide. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a, it's a lifelong call, right? But when it's hard, it's okay. Because he's calling us to love more than we're able in the way he loved us. We can't do that. But as we abide in him, as we turn back to him, as we repent and believe he's gonna do this work through us, as we embrace our weakness to do this great task, he'll change the world through us. So the call is abide in Jesus and ask him to work through us and let's see what he does. Let me pray. Oh, Jesus, um, thank you that you're so good for us. Thank you that you've loved us so much. Um, it's remarkable. When we stop to take the time, when we stop to, to dwell in, to abide in your love for us, when we go back to the gospel and drink deep of it, help us to do that. We love because you first loved us. And so you've called this incredible, lifelong, sacrificial love that I can't do that we can't do. But you know that, and you've equipped us. You've, and the gospel says you will work through us. You, are working, you have worked for us, you are working in us, and you have promised you will work through us. So help us to turn and ask for help. Help us to rely on you. Help us to see our growth as this reliance, this dependence upon you, our true vine. We want to be fruitful branches. And sometimes we don't even want to be fruitful branches. But help us to be honest, to turn back to our identity, to find that hope and that identity and that call in you and so get everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you for your love for us. Help us to abide in you and love others. It's so simple and yet it's so hard. But thank you that you will do that through us. Help us to believe. We pray in your name. Amen.